turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them we are back with another episode. Today, I'm joined by Christina Garnett, an expert in community building, digital strategy, and audience intelligence. She's also a top Twitter follower for me. Go follow her right now. I'm excited to welcome Christina to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. I'm super excited. I want to dive into the first question. How did you get into marketing? About two weeks into dating my husband, my now husband, he said that I should go into marketing because I would fix commercials and ads and basically anything I would see. Kind of what we all do as marketers now, whether we like it or not, is we just deconstruct and start fixing and optimizing things. I was a teacher at the time. And when I went back into the workforce after being a stay-at-home parent for a few years, I was just drawn into marketing again. I found HubSpot Academy and that really became the foundation of my knowledge because I was an English major in college, taught math for five years. So I, I have that creative and analytical side from both, both pieces of me, but marketing really kind of captured that for me. And I just couldn't stop reading, couldn't stop watching and listening to things. And just still I'm endlessly reading blogs, um, communicating with others and you'll never, you'll never know all of it. Like no one knows all of it. I think that's a a great lesson for like any marketer, I think, is if you're not continuously learning in marketing, I don't know what you're doing because it's probably the fastest moving profession out there because tomorrow, like an algorithm change could happen on Twitter and then everybody starts freaking out um, or something new happens. One question I'd like to ask everybody on this podcast is what do you think most marketers are doing wrong today? I think... A lot of them, what they're doing that's wrong is that they're being reactionary instead of being really like really laying a foundation and understanding what their brand is. An example of this is these brands that are making statements because they feel compelled to make a statement because of political purposes or movements happening or there's a national holiday. And so they're creating content in reaction to that instead of making sure that it's actually a part of their values. Think about a lot of a lot of the statements that were made in 2020, and now we're coming back to it. I'm like, that's great, but that statement was just a statement. A lot of brands and a lot of marketers are getting in trouble for that because now people are asking for receipts. You made this statement on your Instagram page, but what are you actually doing about this quote-unquote problem? And so we're seeing that really coming out now. We're seeing that with boycotts. We're seeing that going with people canceling like the cancel culture for brands and the marketers. And so that's why it's so important to really like take a step back. And instead of thinking, well, we need to get the statement out today. You need to think about long-term. What is the brand actually willing to do for this? Someone, someone shared a post with, um, shared a tweet with me and asked for my advice a little earlier today about how they should handle Martin Luther King day. And my response was you can either do a quote and do a picture And then you just act like it's a normal day or you actually do something. And more and more consumers 
are aware of whether or not a brand and marketers, if they're what they're posting, their content, whether or not it's aligned with the actual values of that company. That's what Ben and Jerry's does so well. When Ben and Jerry's makes a statement, you know what they're going to say because those statements live in what they're doing, whether it's response to a movement or response to a holiday, but they live and breathe that every day. Marketers need to start saying that. It's all long game. You really need to think about if we're going to post this, what are the implications of this? How does this align or not align with our values? And what actions can we take as a brand and as marketers to, to really be a voice for change in a positive way? So when do you believe is a good time for like a marketer or a brand to just keep quiet versus like actually being like reacting to a situation? Because I think the value stuff, I understand like they have to defend the values, but some movements are like people are are yelling at brands like, why aren't Mm -hmm. you speaking up? Like you're not saying anything. So when is a good time to just like not say anything because it doesn't fit with your values or actually like be a part of the movement? I think that that, that's a really great question. I think it comes down to a lot of C-suite, a lot of marketers, a lot of legal teams when they're thinking about, because a lot of people, especially with the whole remote thing and, and working from home, it's really shifted what we used to talk about with culture. A few years ago, people were talking about, well, you basically have like, there's a, there's a pool table and there's hammocks and you can, there's a nap room. We don't have that now. So when it comes down to it, the culture that we're looking for is the values, how you, how you treat your employees, how you speak to their needs, how you speak to their concerns. And so when we're having those conversations, brands and marketers need to figure out what hills they want to die on. Because a lot of these, a lot of these bigger movements where it's, why are you not saying something? You're going to anger somebody. That's the thing. That's why, that's why everyone's been trying to play it safe. That's the root of it is no one wants to lose followers. No one wants to lose sales, revenue. No one wants to hurt their reputation. And it gets to the point where, where does that silence mean that you're complicit? And that's what we're seeing a lot now with brands and what's happening with like different, I'll just say political figures being removed from platforms, a lot of brands are being asked if they if they've been supporting those those movements with monetary donations. But the fact is is that we live in an incredibly polarized country. And these movements are very polarizing. So when Nike is creating a Kaepernick shoe, they know very clearly that there's going to be people that are going to be angry about that and who are never going to never going to purchase anything from Nike again. But they also know that there are people that align with that value set and they're going to proudly wear Nike for the rest of their life. And so that's the thing. It's gotten to the point where you don't have to say everything every time, but you do have to decide and understand that there's going to be implications of being quiet or saying something. And that either way, you have to really evaluate that. And social is so undervalued and so under-respected, but that's the, that's the go-to place. When you want to talk to your audience, you immediately say, I need this on social. I need this on Twitter. I need this on Facebook. I need this on Instagram. And so they need to understand and start listening to their social media managers. They need to start looking and talking to the people that are on the front lines. And instead of just saying, you need to publish this, I want more conversations of, what does the sentiment look like right now? What are the comments we're getting? 
What are people talking about when, it, when they talk about our brand? What are they saying? What are they demanding? Are they wanting us to be quiet? Are they telling us that we're, that we're not going to do that? Those statements, when, they, when a couple of those CEOs were saying we condemn the action that happened at the Capitol, it felt hollow because it was just a statement. So if you're going to say something, you need to have something with it. Statements are no longer enough. You have to speak with action. So I would tell brands, if you're, if you're not willing to put action with that statement, you should be quiet because that's exactly what they're going to say. If you put out a statement and be like, oh, we condemn this. The first thing you're going to get is, I don't care about your opinion. Why are you talking? We don't care. What are you doing to change this? If you put out a statement and, the, and you can't answer the question of, well, what are you going to do about it? Be quiet because it's just hollow. No one wants the press releases anymore. People want receipts. They want, they want to see you take action. And it's, and it's okay if it's not aligned with it. It's, it's okay if it's not aligned with your values. But understand that those comments from your audience are going to come because more and more consumers are becoming very conscious about making choices with their wallet and making choices with their social accounts. If they want to make the world a better place, then they are going to specifically call out the brands that they like and care about and utilize and pay for. And they're going to say, this is what matters to me. Does this matter to you too? Because if it doesn't, I need to find another vendor. I need to find another brand that I want to give money to. Do you think that like you can get ahead of this way earlier by implementing this like social listening and audience intelligence that you're like expert, like knowing actually who your audience is before? Because I feel like if you have an understanding of what they do stand for your audience mm-hmm. and what they actually do care about and what they actually do talk about on social, you can kind of predict like, this is a good time for me to be part of this. Cause my audience, I care about my audience and my audience mm-hmm. cares about this type of thing. So. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. With, well, before that, like social listening has been a thing for a while but a lot of people were not actively using it. A lot of the bigger brands were, but like small businesses and nonprofits, the government even, like a lot of them are not doing social listening to the extent that they could. And last year, just everything. And we're seeing that still with the first couple, um, the first few days of January where you have to read the room at any hour. You have to be able to know what's happening and whether or not you need to like cancel all your paid like postpone all your organic, go quiet, make a statement, talk about your next initiative. You need to be able to know what the room looks like. And you have no idea how to read that room. If you're not listening, you have no idea you're guessing. And so I completely agree. All brands need to be utilizing some form of social listening to understand what are the pain points of their audience? What is their audience already talking about? What concerns do they have? Are they anxious? Are they worried? Think about if your brand if your brand is focused on something that's been hit recently. So for example, there were a couple t-shirts that were seen at the the Capitol. And so now there are certain t-shirt companies that are having to come out and explain whether or not those were bought from them, whether or not they printed those, but keeping an eye and constantly just being vigilant and looking at what's coming in and what's being said about you, your brand, and what your customers specifically are saying, you need that information. You need to know how they're feeling about you. If you have a press release that you want to send out, but you know that people are already angry at you, 
then maybe that's a situation where you have to say, is this press release going to make that, that negative sentiment louder, larger, or is it going to help? And really have to finesse that. The thing is, is that so for so long, a lot of brands just relied on their built-in clout. You already know who I am. You already give us money, but now we're on social. And because you know us and recognize us, we already have that awareness. So you're going to follow us and we're going to post sales and we're going to post features and you're going to love it because of who we are. But that just doesn't work as well anymore. There's too many people on social that are doing good stuff, that are creating great content, that are creating things that are not just being published. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing that marketers, hopefully all marketers are starting to see that social is not about publishing. It's about conversations. So if people and people adapt really quickly, we see patterns. So we can tell the brands that are engaging with their fans versus the ones who just publish and go quiet and never respond and never like anything, never engage. We know who those people are. And why would I keep going to you if you're not going to talk to me back? So it's just, it's so imperative that brands of all sizes are really taking that time and investing in their audience by listening to them. It's free market research. You're able to get into the thought processes of your audience and know exactly how they feel about things. It's priceless. How do you, would you set up like social listening? Cause there are like, you could do it based on like brand mentions. And then there's also like mm-hmm. what people are talking about that has nothing to do with your brand, which is also mm-hmm. probably gold as well. So like, how do you set up like that social listening for, for brands? Like what, what do you advise them to do for that? Yeah. What I would do is I would start internally and work your way out. So internally, we're talking about mentions. We're talking about branded hashtags. We're talking about also the brand's name when it's not a handle. You would be shocked at how many brands just look at their own ads. They don't look at it when just the the name is said. It's shocking. But you need to make sure that you're looking at the hashtags. You're looking at the handle mentions. You're looking at your name, whatever there isn't an at or a hashtag that you're also making a list of keywords of how your audience could specifically talk about you, brand, your product or service in your industry and making sure that you have that list. Just you can put it in a spreadsheet. You can just put it in a Google doc, whatever you want, but we're going to work like super like owned to that deep interior. So we have owned and then we have industry as we're building our way out. So this is now the keywords that are not specific to the brand itself, but what you do, what you offer, and then work your way outside of that. So now you're looking and thinking about where are those people having conversations about major things? So then I would look at like using bullion. So now we're doing like brand plus maybe this trend and see, are people talking about our brand plus that trending event or that trending keyword and see if there's, if there's any correlation to that. And if so, is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? And then working out even further than that and using tools like SparkToro. SparkToro does a really great job of showing where those audiences live. So we can see what they're saying if we look natively, if we use tools like TalkWalker or Meltwater or Mention. But we can also use tools like SparkToro where we're going to be able to look for our brand name or an account or a keyword. And we'll be able to see who are the main people that are following this account and what do they look like? So are, what country are they mainly in? What blogs are they reading? What YouTube channels are they watching? What social accounts are they following? 
So now you're learning a little bit more about who these people are and where they're spending their, basically their online life. Where do they live online? So between those two things, I know where they're living online and I know the kind of conversations they're having. So as a marketer, I'm going to be able to use that information to inform my future decisions. What kind of content needs to work for this person? What are what is important to them? What do they spend the majority of their time talking about? What are the kind of like what's the kind of content they enjoy? If you know what kind of social accounts that they're following, those that are like the top ones for that, then going into those and seeing like, well, what kind of content pillars are those those accounts using? Are they funny? Are they meme accounts? Are they serious? Are they inform are they informative? Are they funny? Are they sarcastic? Are they news? What are they? It gives you such a really core understanding of the kind of content that those those types of audiences are looking for and are already spending their time. So with all of that information, that's the secret sauce. It all comes down to the better you understand your audience, the better you're going to be able to create content that's going to resonate with them and the better you're going to be able to communicate with them too because you're going to know this is the kind of content they like. This is the kind of voice they like. This is the kind of stuff that they engage with. These are the kind of like long form posts, short form posts. These are the YouTube videos they like. Using all of that information, you're going to be able to specifically cater your content to the people that you want to talk to and, and then be able to be there to listen and see how it responds, how they respond, because you're listening. I think that makes a good point. I think the, I was going to, you kind of answered a question that I was going to ask before about like how to create content based on this listening. And cause I think this is something that a lot of marketers miss. I think they don't take what they listening and take what people are talking about and create actual posts from this. I think this is a huge miss for a lot of people. I think like reading comments, like reading conversations, these are like, they actually give you content to write from just doing that, mm-hmm. which is crazy to see about. How can like a marker become a better, like active listener? Like what are like some things to do to become like a better active listener as a marketer? I think there's like hearing and there's like listening. Like how could you become better at doing that? I think at the core root of it is you have to care because if you don't care, then it's going to be a chore. It's going to eat at you. It's not going to feel, it's not going to be fun. And you're going to see it as just a dumping ground for people's opinions instead of seeing it as an opportunity. Anytime someone's giving you, especially as a brand, anytime someone's giving you stuff, even if it's a troll, that is giving you information because it's telling you, like a troll is going to tell you where your weaknesses are. They might be wrong, but they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you point blank what they think your weakness is, because that's what they're going to strike. If they don't like, if they don't like a picture, if they don't like a, if they don't like your copy or they disagree with it, they're going to specifically hammer you with what they think is wrong. So looking at the troll accounts, which I hate them, but there is an opportunity there. It will let you decide and be able to figure out what are the implications of this. And I can't tell you how many marketers, because I'm guilty of this. I do this all the time. When I'm creating copy and content for brands, my thought is, what is the worst possible thing a person could say about this? Because it'll happen. That troll will roll up and it will say that exact thing. And you're just sitting there like, I knew it. I knew it. So you have to go there and you have to essentially prepare for everything. A little game theory. You have to decide like, 
What are all of the potential outcomes of posting this specific thing? What are the best outcomes, the neutral outcomes, the worst outcomes? What is a troll going to say about this? And then work your way backwards and really decide if the worst case scenario happens here, how do we handle that? It's so much about planning in advance for something that is, is constantly evolving. And that's, that's the thing is marketing is it's constantly dealing with humans. So it is the most human living thing and it's constantly changing. It's constantly in flux, but a good marketer has to be prepared for all of those like iterations. We're all playing Dr. Strange. We're all constantly trying to figure out what are all the alternative options for this? What are all of the possible comments? And the more you listen, the more likely you are to see and predict, like you said, to be able to understand this is exactly how the audience is going to respond. And that's the thing. So many marketers talk about they know something's going to work well and they'll say it's their gut. It's their gut, but it's also all of the time they spent in the trenches watching things delivered watching things published and how they were handled. And so we're constantly trying to make those movements. And so you have to listen because we're constantly pushing out content and having to hope and pray that it's responded to well. You have to constantly be listening, constantly. The best marketers listen, 100%. They are, they are there, they are watching, they are seeing what's happening. My biggest issue, though, is that I need the people above them to start listening to because there are initiatives, there's campaigns you got to get through, there are goals you got to get through. But the thing is, is that social media managers and marketers don't have to be an enemy and don't have to be a, a, a combative with the other people that are trying to get those initiatives done, whether that be their CMO, their CEO, middle management, whoever it is. But there needs to be more collaborative energy between those two groups because they need to be listening to their social media managers. So instead of saying, I need this to go out, they need to understand that the social media manager should feel empowered to say, I can't do that because this is how it's going to be perceived. This is how people are going to respond. This is not going to work the way that you're wanting it to work. My question is like, why do you think so many brands underappreciate the social media managers and like don't invest in? these community building and social media manager people. Cause I think like I've seen a lot of a, it's maybe bigger brands. They have it because they, ha- it's just, they know every other company has it, but mm-hmm. like these mid size to like even smaller companies, I, I feel like they totally under invest on social. And why do you think that's happening? It's a few things. So for one, it's still fairly a young market. I mean, if you think about Facebook coming out in the 2000s, so we, we still don't have, like, it's, we're still in only 2021. So we don't have like 20 years of social media and more. And so you have these traditional channels. I mean, you have brands that don't want to spend money on a hashtag campaign with Twitter because it's too expensive, but they'll spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl campaign. And they'll release it before that. So there's not even a surprise. They're so bought into traditional marketing and social media is still fairly young in the game when you consider like out of home advertising, commercials, and just the traditional way that things are done. Additionally, you have, everyone has the ability to have a social media account. So that democratization of social is great, but it also minimizes how people who do it for a living are seen. That's why you have those conversations of, we well, just play on Twitter or Facebook all day, 
or you're just on social all day playing, not thinking that there's any real strategy or planning or work behind it. Additionally, there's no set regulations for social media. So anyone could have a smartphone and say, hey, I took a marketing 101 class in college and I play on Twitter. I'm totally a social media marketer. Let me give, pay me my money and I'll run this account for you. And I see it all the time. And so you have so many people with snake oil, either, either they realize they're frauds and they just want to sell it anyway, or they truly believe that they're ready and they pitch themselves either way. But we talk about social media regulation all the time, but we don't talk about actually setting standards for our social media marketers at all. And that needs to be a conversation too. I mean, an accountant, you're going to want to make sure that they have certain credentials. You're going to need to make sure that they understand certain things. Social media marketing, there isn't that. There isn't that at all. And so because of those three individual pieces, there is a disconnect with what is, is happening. That's why having, having a personal brand has turned into a way to kind of showcase that and why we have tons of certifications but there's no set list for this is what you absolutely have to have. It changes from different things. And there's also no set regulation for what a social media manager does. I mean, how many times do you see like a social media manager position, but they want a videographer, they want a photographer, they want a social media manager, they want a copywriter, they want someone who can do like TikTok video edits. Like they're a graphic designer. They have all of these, like a wish list. And then they're like, see, if I just call them a social media manager, it's fine. And then I'll just pay them $12 an hour. It's a huge disservice. And that's why I'm, I'm hopeful that during 2020, a lot of us were burning out. A lot of us were struggling. And we just started becoming unapologetically honest about what was happening in the industry and, and what we love about it, what we hate about it, what needs to change. And those voices are starting to get louder and louder, but it's completely under-respected and, and needs to be seen, put in the forefront, but it's, we have to hit those three barriers. We need to really think about how can we showcase the value? How can we show them that this isn't just an intern thing, or this isn't just a young person thing? Because being young doesn't mean you're a social media manager or a good social media manager. Being old doesn't mean you're a bad one. There's so much that's involved but because we haven't set those regulations, because there's not an understanding of what that specifically means, we have these continuing problems. I totally agree. And I think like to be a good social media manager, you have to be a good marketer. And I think that's what people also mistake. It's like, like these people who have, they are some Gen Z that have built a great audience, but they, I mean, that comes from like, them doing unconsciously like things that they don't even know are marketing like understanding mm -hmm. their audience like put like learning from like engagement like mm -hmm. talk collaborating with people they don't know that they're doing it but they're doing marketing and that's like mm -hmm. the crazy thing i want to ask you like what are the standards that people should look for to for a good social media manager if we're like looking for if i if I was going to put up a, a job posting or a company today put up a job posting, like what, what standards should they look for to, to have a great social media manager? And also what should they ask and not ask for? Cause I think that's a big thing too. Cause I think they over ask for things and then sometimes they under pick qualifications mm -hmm. with it. So it's crazy. Yeah. I think a lot of it is on, is on the person who's hiring in themselves so many times they they think they or they say I need a social media manager, but they have no idea what is actually entailed. 
So it's this big bubble of like all these possible things that could be done on social media, not knowing that there are different rules and different sizing and different like needs for each individual channel or platform. So what I would ask for first is if I was hiring somebody, I would have them give like, what are the top three things in social media that you love to do? And the bottom three things that you, that the, the stuff that you hate, because they need to be very clear about what the expectations are. And sometimes that's really hard until actually they see that those words, like they, they don't know what they need until they see it. If that makes sense. They need to be able to say like, if someone hates doing video, then having that honesty to say like, this is my least favorite thing. If it's going to be a social media and then you realize after seeing that, like, oh, but we want to build a YouTube channel, like that's problematic. But do you want to hire somebody who's just literally going to hate their life because they're having to do something that they hate? There's so much in social, there's so much pressure being able to find and really kind of match up people's skill sets to that. And that's the thing I love about marketing Twitter is that there's such a wide array of talent there that there's stuff that people do that I literally could never do, but I will amplify them for days because we're not competing for the same work because the person who would want them is not the person who would want me. So thinking about that and then understand that there's different powers that everyone wants that one size fits all, but then they want, they want the jack of all trades, but they don't want the master of none. They want you to be a master of all of it. And so really be clear about what the expectations are, especially if you want someone like they'll want like a masterful copywriter, but then they'll want someone who is exceptionally visual. And usually those aren't the same people. Some, I know some people who are brilliant at both. They can copyright and, and do, do video like you've never seen, but that's not everybody. Most people are not that way. So if you're going to do copy, if you're looking for copywriters, then ask for, ask for a portfolio, ask for pieces of the writing and be able to explain to them what the style is. A lot of issues with hiring right now for marketing too is people are, there's this thin line about asking them to, to do the work versus asking to see like an example of their work. Because no one wants to do a project to get a job and then you basically gave them free work and they didn't hire you. Because I've seen so many, I've seen that happen to a lot of people. But then I've also been on job interviews where I've done the opposite. I, they've asked me questions and I've had like a Google Doc ready to go. And I was like, this is what I would do. This is what I would change. This is the copy I would write. This is all of the things. That's just the kind of person I am. Not everyone has to be that way. But I think there's just, it, there needs, there's, once again, there's not a clear regulation as to what you can ask for and what you can't. And so I think that social media managers are going to have to lead the way to have those conversations for the people above them because they're not happening. I've, I've, the, the more I see what's happening on social and the more I see the conversations about our industry as a whole, the more the social media managers of the day are going to have to get louder and help educate others in our industry as to what's happening and what's needed. And then what would I ask a social media manager versus like, to pick a good one or a bad one, I would pick someone who was not afraid to say what they would be willing to do. I am the kind of person where I, I love ideas. I love opinions because I find that that's where the innovation comes from. If we stifle people's opinions and we stifle ideas, then everything's going to get boring. And that's when you're going to get those brands that no one, but their employees likes their content because it's so rote. It's so boring and bland. 
And so to be able to really find someone who's willing to put forth something, HubSpot asked a question on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago. I was like, if you could ask one interview question, what would you ask? And the interview question I would ask is, if you could fix or change one thing that we do about our current marketing, what would you change? Because it shows that they understand your brand because they wouldn't be able to answer that question if they don't know what you're doing for marketing. It also will show them that you're willing to take criticism because you'd never ask that question if you thought it was perfect. So that immediately empowers them to be able to think about like, what would I change? It also will tell you what is, what is important to them because people tend to see the things that they're the most passionate about. Like I'm, I, I love social listening. So if someone's doing it wrong, that's the thing I'm going to, I'm not even going to be able to ignore it. It's going to hit me like a ton of bricks. A copywriter, a copywriter is going to see something that should be like, mm, that should be an M dash or, oh, that should be a colon. They're going to see that before I would. A photographer, they're going to see that maybe like it's too messy and it's not high res enough. And like the Photoshop job isn't done well. They're going to lean in to what their expertise is. So you're going to automatically know where their thought process is and where they lean. The people who I would not hire are the people who lead with promises. They're all about making promises. They're not about getting into that nitty gritty. They all, they just want to keep selling you that snake oil. The whole thing is like, if you hire me, I'm going to do, I'm going to like get you millions of dollars and I'm going to do this. And Look at all the success you're going to have. You really need to stay away from the people who are all about promises and not tactics and not strategies. The people who were going to tell you, the people who promise you those short wins are, I would trust someone who would give me a long-term win first. The people who are like, this is how long I see this taking. These are the steps that we would take. This is what it would look like. Here's our KPIs. The people who do that are great. The other thing I would look, I would watch out for is buzzwords. If someone starts using a lot of buzzwords in an interview with me, I'm going to start asking questions about those things to see how granular they can get. Because if you can't, if you have to use buzzwords to explain everything, then you don't understand it. It's um, one of my favorite exercises for businesses, especially for messaging, is the why method, the five-year-old method. You just pretend there's a five-year-old in the room. That is just constantly, every time you say something, they're asking why, and you have to answer and get it down to just as new as just as granular as humanly possible, because that will show you how well you understand it. If you can't get, if you can't answer why, then it's just a buzzword. You're just stringing buzzwords together for me. I really need to get you down to understand, to show me that you deeply understand the problems, what's happening and how you can start solving. Yeah, that, that, you just gave like killer points for anybody listening to this. So that's amazing. I think one thing I also want to dive into is how some of these job descriptions say that they want their brand to be in all these like social platforms mm-hmm. when these social platforms don't do mean like they resonate with their brand. And like it kind of, I mean, it's kind of a bad look for the marketer who put that up, but I get it. Some business owners do it too, but it's like, how is a like social media per person going in that interview say like actually I think like your audience would be better on these two platforms and not do like YouTube and TikTok right now. Like I think you should just do these two platforms and I think you could dominate these two platforms or something mm-hmm. like that. Like yep. what's your thought process on that? 
I love that. I think that that's a great way, especially if you're looking for a job in social media, because if they don't listen to you and you come in there and you're like, here are your target audiences, here's your personas, here's the ones that are best for this channel, here's the content that's doing best. Look, I went ahead and took a look at your social and I can see that this channel is doing better than this or this performs better than that. If they railroad you and immediately give you like a barrier there, that's a red flag. And I completely agree. There's tons. Everyone wants to be everywhere. These, especially like the larger brands, they feel like they need a footprint everywhere. The thing is, is that you don't, especially if, if you have a big team and everyone can have it covered and you're be, you're able to create quality content and engagement and listen across all those channels. Awesome. Good for you. That's fantastic. That's rarely what happens. What they wind up doing is they give one person that job. They tell them to do everything. They're not listened to when they're telling them that like, Hey, YouTube isn't working. You're only giving me 30 second videos to post. And that's not long enough. Or you keep giving me five minute, five minute videos to post on Facebook and everyone's leaving after the first minute. And then things don't flood in there and they're not tons of conversions. And then it's the social media manager's fault. There's a really big problem. So I would keep an eye out. Don't be afraid to, to explain your reasoning and explain why you wouldn't be here versus there versus there. So like for, for one example, a lot when, when TikTok came out, everyone was wanting to like jump on there and then parlor started and then everyone wanted to jump on there, but you really need to figure out where your audience is. And it goes back to social listening again. Is your audience talking about TikTok? Is your audience talking about parlor? What are they saying? Are they saying they're going over there? Are they saying they're spending time there? If they are, what kind of con- what pieces of content are they responding to? What kind of things do they like? And then spending time, like so many people jump into something without reading the room and seeing what's working there. And like that was the biggest problem is they want to treat all of these social media channels exactly the same, but the audiences are different. But more importantly, the user culture for each platform is different. The way you respond to content on Twitter is different than how you respond on Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok. And so if you don't, if you don't create content that makes sense for that, then what you see is you see this replication. So for instance, with stories, we had Facebook take it from Snap, and then we have TikTok, TikTok kind of a blend of Vine, and then you have Facebook coming in with reels. And then what happened when reels came? Facebook didn't explain what it was. It was just very clearly a TikTok mock-up. And so what happened? Everyone literally copied their TikTok and put the TikTok with the banding, like with the TikTok stamp on reels, because the user culture didn't know what to do other than to mimic what it was doing somewhere else. And that's just a lack of education. That's, that's not empowering and educating your users on how they could do it differently. And so now when we have all these channels and then you look and then all of these brands, well, not all, but some of the brands that do this that are guilty of it, they have the exact same piece of content with the exact same copy across all of those channels. And it's just copy and paste mess. So I'd rather a brand and a company do two, one, whatever, but they do like the, the ones they can handle and do well, the ones that they can control and take care of and will nurture and grow and be there for their audience. I'd rather the brands and marketers do that 
than try to be everywhere and do them all poorly because they don't have the resources, they don't have the time, they don't have the ability to create the content that's needed on those channels that are going to work and resonate for those audiences and those user cultures. Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the biggest myths that I've been hearing for a while about social media, and this is like just for me, like building an audience on platforms is that you always hear diversification, diversification of like social platforms, but it actually like, if you like learn a platform intensely, you have to spend time like learning a platform. And if you, if you go to another platform, like you're not giving that platform a hundred percent of your time and Uh energy. And then that's where like, you see what you're just saying is like, people get sloppy on every other platform because like you're not becoming good. Like once I became decent at LinkedIn, understood LinkedIn, I'm like, okay, now I'll start going on Twitter and understanding like Twitter audiences and understanding because it's completely different than LinkedIn. So like, I think one of the biggest things is I think people should have accounts on all platforms, but doesn't mean you have to be speaking on all platforms. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a biggest misconception because I think, it could happen that your brand could be wiped off of that platform mm-hmm. and your account could cancel, but mm-hmm. you won't grow the community that you want. If you like mm-hmm. on five platforms, Yeah, I just want to leave with one more question. And then mm-hmm. an opportunity for you is like, what are three tips that you would give people who are trying to start an audience today? Don't just jump in, do your research. Market research is some of the most fruitful investing that you can do, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people immediately think like, what's the first post I'm going to do instead of going to the audience first. So the audience has to be everything. Two, make content that's two directional, not one directional. Don't publish. I mean, unless you're a news outlet and that's you're just sharing the news because that that tends to be the only ones that publish well. But brands do this too a lot where they just publish to publish and they just and then they like, why didn't it blow up? It's because it's boring. I don't need to read that. It didn't tell me anything. It didn't provide value. I don't understand why it would be popular. It's you're you don't respond to comments. And then the other would be collaborative relationships, strategic collaborative relationships are huge. That's why marketing Twitter does so well, because I'm not the only person amplifying people. I welcome someone into the group if they follow, if they respond to that tweet and I can say welcome, but I'll have like five other people that follow me that immediately, hey, we're so glad you're here. Hey, I love that too. Hey, I work at, I work in that place too. You have, you have this collaborative spirit And that's what it takes. And that's what it takes with brands too. Some of the best things that we've seen that happened last year were collabs. There were collaborations between different brands that you may not think, or artists and brands that you may not think would be a good mix, but then everything that that was in that collaboration sells out. And it's because you have that power of strategic relationships. Strategic relationships are huge. One thing that I wish that more brands had done last year during um, just everything with 2020 is I wish that we had seen more micro macro um, collaborations. A lot of the collaborations we see, they're both big. So you have two equals working together. I would love to see more macro micro where you have like a big brand that's going to work with a nonprofit and they're going to amplify each other. 
or you're going to do a small business with a larger brand and they're going to essentially like one of the, one of my ideas that I posted last year was I wish that these big fortune 500 companies would do like an adopt small business campaign where they create a Slack channel and they have, um, they have small business owners that they help mentor that they ask questions and they, they help them with their problems. They give them, like a year's worth of Zoom or a year's worth of like a tax service or whatever, but they give them some tools that that small business wouldn't be able to have and they mentor them. And so what you have is you have this micro macro relationship where it isn't just about creating conversions for each other, but it's about creating this partnership where we can each benefit because now the small business is going to be able to get ideas and be able to get assistance that they can never afford. And the fortune 500 gets to be able to showcase that they're giving back, which honestly most brands need for the reputation, whether they believe in it or not, they need it. They need the, the goodwill, positive sentiment that comes with it. So even though they're not on the same level, it's mutually beneficial. I wish that we could see more of those kind of collaborations. That's actually a really good point. I mean, we saw Barstool had a really good one with mm-hmm. the, the small business fund. I love that. Yep. Like, and yep. I love the part that they actually like amplified the business mm-hmm. as they did. That was like one of the coolest collaborations I've seen on, yep. on social. I want to give you time to just to tell people where they can find you and um, anything you want to tell the audience right now. The floor is yours. Thanks. I'm Christina Garnett. You can find me at that Christina G basically anywhere. I write on Medium. I also have a publication called In the Trenches on Medium, which is specifically for writers of people who are the practitioners, the ones that are in the trenches doing this, but they haven't been on speaking tours. They haven't written a book. So if anyone wants is interested in writing for In the Trenches, feel free to check that out on Medium and um, ping me. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to highlight more writers that just really haven't had their voices heard yet. And that's, that's really it for me. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. I, I'm so excited to get this out and promote it to other marketers. I think there's a ton of value in it. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Cool. Bye.